Father, we think about uh, what we're remembering for these past 20 years uh, of September 11th, that day of wickedness and evil. Lord, we pray, Father, for we still think of the repercussions of all the families affected, of those who have lost folks in the Twin Towers or in Flight 93, or those who have lost folks because they have gone to protect us. God, we are a nation that is forever marked by that date. And I pray that you would use it it, its memory, its destruction for our good, that folks would run to Christ. Lord, we pray for this new season of ministry. Father, I just want to, we ask God because we don't want to assume we are in need of your spirit to work. We ask you would bless our home groups Lord, would you bring out our neighbors, our friends? Lord, we pray you would work in our uh, Crew 412 and in Koa and Happy Harbor. Father, you give us these people to minister to. Help us to be faithful in giving them the gospel and teaching them to be mature, as you say in Colossians. Teaching and admonishing one another to a mature man, it says. Raise up children's workers for even new ministry, we pray. We pray, Father, for discipleship relationships. Father, that they'd be forged. God, that disciples would point the way to Christ. And those who are being disciples would be open and ready and teachable. We pray that all would grow in Christ together. We also pray, Father, that more folks would come to know Christ. Lord, you've brought us here. We are here. You've collected us together for a mission, Father. Remind us of that mission. We're not here to live for ourselves. We are here because you have redeemed us by your Son to speak of the redemption that they can have in Christ. Use us in the office, Lord. Make us witnesses on the job site. Use us in the field, on the campus, on a ship, in training or deployment. Use us in the schools, the sports clubs, and in the gyms. Use us, Lord, grant us fruit. Christ, display your glory, we pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us a building so that we could serve freely. We could minister freely. We could reach out freely without any restriction, God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us elders and deacons in this church. Forge the relationships, Lord. May we guard us in unity as we go forth, Lord. And we pray this morning, would you bless your word? Would you take the spirit, the one who shines the spotlight on Christ? Take the things of Christ. Shine it in our hearts, God. Help us to grow today. And not to be overconfident in ourselves. We pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. We go. This, the name of this sermon is 
You don't got this. The pitfall of overconfidence. The reason why I say you don't got this is because we have this saying. You got this. You got this. You could do it. You got this. The Bible says that is the quickest way to fall when you think you got this. I remember I had a, I have a good friend. Um, I met him in college. He loved the Lord. He was zealous. And I remember he would share the gospel. He would disciple people. Then he started serving in the local church. And as he was serving in the local church, uh, God was using his preaching and his teaching. And he was greatly used of God. He was very fruitful. He, was, he loved many and many loved him as well. Now, he became a pastor then. He was appointed to a pastor of a, a very large church, a gospel preaching church. And I say this first, I want to say and preface this as I said before. That drinking alcohol is not a sin. Correct? The Bible says... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. To be drunk is a sin, but not to drink alcohol. That's not a sin. It's a liberty, actually. The Bible talks about it. But if left unchecked, it can very quickly become sin. See, my friend, he would... He would he loved to ride his motorcycle and with his son. And he would drive his motorcycle with his son. And he was practicing his liberty of drinking alcohol. And he was overconfident. And he drunk a few too many beers. Because he thought, I got this. I got this. And what happened was, his liberty became sin. And sadly, as he was driving, he couldn't accommodate the turn. He hit a sign. His son flew. They both survived. They both recovered. But he lost his ministry because he was no longer above reproach. He was overconfident. That's very dangerous when you say, I got this. I can, I can handle this. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. When you say, I can handle this, I already know you're immature. Because I said it. Oh, I got this. And down I went. See, in the text today, you'll see how God desires for you to humble yourself. To trust in his provision and not fall into sin brought on by overconfidence. Let me read the text. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're finally back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 not third. Where am I? First Corinthians 10. chapter 10. Why did I say 13? I always want to go to 13. This love, right? 
Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 13, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under a cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the spiritual drink. <clears throat> For they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instructions upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12. Here it is. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You know, in, in our excitement as we become Christians, we rejoice in our freedoms, and you ought to be rejoicing in your freedoms. You're free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. In heaven, you'll be free from the presence of sin. And as, as we grow, we are no longer to be uh, ruled by superstitions and legalism and law. We're free. Yet we learn very quickly that if we exercise those freedoms without humility, without understanding our proneness to fall, without realizing the very fact that we are fallen creatures, yet redeemed, but we are fallen creatures. We can sin at any moment and dishonor God and dishonor Christ. In Christ's power, you can live in the freedom of Christ and honor him with your life. So this morning, God desires that you would not live in the overconfidence of yourself, but walk wisely in your liberty. Walk wisely in your liberty. Now, as we look at this text, we see really the heart is in verse 12 and 13. Therefore him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. But here, God's word gives you three action items so that you would not live in overconfidence of self, but rather walk wisely in liberty. You would walk as a mature, Christ-honoring, Christ-dependent, 
Christian who lives freely. Number one. The first action item in God's word in verses one to four that God gives is celebrate how wonderful liberty is in Christ or how wonderful liberty in Christ is. Celebrate, meditate, think about the blessings that you have. Notice he says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. It's, uh, it's interesting, Paul starts to say spiritual, he uses the word fathers because these were our spiritual fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joshua, Moses. He's calling them out as our spiritual fathers. And if we believe in Christ, we are spiritually under their lineage. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. And I think a lot of times the immature Christian, the prideful Christian, thinks they got it. Oh, I know the truth. I'm never going to fall in that. I'm just going to do this by my own sheer power and will. Let me ask you how, how we're doing with that. Has anyone tried that? I can tell you, every single time I've tried that, I have failed. And so Paul tells you, I don't want you to be unaware of this. He says that the fathers were all under the cloud. This is uh, uh, hearkening back to their time in the wilderness. Israel's time under, under the wilderness where the cloud was God's protection and provision and his presence. Now, before you say, hey, Angelo, I don't understand what you're saying. This is Israel. This is not me. I could tune out. This is what happens. When we look at the disobedience of Israel, we go, that's not me. No way. And yet, God tells you, in this instance, that the failings of Israel are there for you. Notice verse 6, he says, in verse 6, he says, now, very clearly, these things happened as what? Examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Look at verse 11. He says it again in verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. It's amazing. Paul was very, he was separated by eras of time from the Israelites in the wilderness. As we are separated over two millennia from Paul. And what he is saying here is the lessons and the text and the Old Testament has its relevance in your life right now. Brothers and sisters, I don't need to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. And you would do well to heed its warnings and to run to its blessings. There are three aspects that uh, he talks about in celebrating your wonderful liberty in Christ. I think part of fighting temptation, part of knowing, uh, and part of backing off from being overconfident and being prideful is celebrating 
you truly are, the reality of who you are in Christ. And at first, he says, he talks about the awesome deliverance. Notice in uh, verse 1b, he says, all and all pass through the sea. We know that this is hearkening back to the Old Testament again about in Exodus where Israel, they were slaves to Egypt because of they were descended from Joseph and they were slaves to Egypt for over 400 years. And God, if you remember in your Sunday schools, he would send plagues. He sent 10 plagues to them. And they ran for their lives after Passover. And what he's talking about here is as they were running towards the Red Sea, the Egyptians were... Uh, were chasing them and God parted the sea for them. He tells, he tells them, Christian, remember your awesome deliverance. This language is used for Christians all over the place. If you were to write even Colossians 1.13, he talks about your awesome deliverance. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what God says is that the physical deliverance of Israel pictures your spiritual deliverance from sin. And as Israel was a slave to Egypt, you were a slave to sin. And God says you've been delivered. You've been rescued. The son came and rescued you. And I think we need to stop and think about that before we start to get overconfident. Man, that's what I was rescued from. I remember when I first when I first got saved. My allegiance was Christ. My love was Christ, but I did not cut my allegiance with the world just quite yet. I was follow Christ was my allegiance, but I didn't make those cuts. And what happened was I would go with some of my friends who did not know the Lord, did not love the Lord, mock the Lord. I would go with them and I would find myself in sin. I would say first when I go, I'm just going to be there to influence them. I'm going to be there to share the gospel with them. And as I went, I slowly became influenced. And I went with the crowd. And I slowly made compromises by not saying things, by not opening my mouth. And as I made compromises, this Angelo who says, I got this, fell. I wasn't thinking about how I was delivered. The Angelo who was delivered. That's the old Angelo. And I think we all have stories like that. Secondly, uh, a new identification. Not only are you to dwell and to celebrate. I'm going to just move this. I think I'm going to get stabbed. Celebrate on our awesome deliverance but our new identification brothers and sisters if you know the Lord Jesus Christ you are one with him not only have you been delivered from a wicked past but now your identity is tied in him 
He says, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now we recall in the Old Testament there was a a pillar of a cloud that would follow them and sprinkle water on them when they needed water. And also that they were immersed in the sea. And so what Paul is saying is that that is a picture of being baptized into Moses. Now, this has a New Testament counterpart in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Later on in the book, he's going, why don't we turn there? 1 Corinthians, just a couple chapters. 12, 13, Paul uses the same word to stress this new identity. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body through there are many are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, it's a miraculous work. I'm not talking about water baptism. I'm talking about the inward work that God does. He says by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit in us. In other words, what God says is, when you come to Christ, when you truly come to Christ, you have been placed in this miraculous thing called the body of Christ, which is the church, and your identity is intertwined with him. That's not me anymore. We often thought it was funny, Jeanette and I, when we'd go to uh, mission fields, And they would say, oh, weren't you raised in a Christian home? And we would both say, no. If you only knew. It's funny, when I go back to Vallejo, I was there at a conference this week. It was an encouraging conference. If you ever want to come with me, you let me know. Because all it will do would feed your soul. It was the best conference talking about the glories of Christ. And to press on in the ministry. But as I say this, when I go back there, many of my friends knew me before I was saved. They knew what I was about. That's my hometown. But they know that that was the old me. I'm a new person in Christ. I don't have to go back. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ, you never have to go back. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, I know. I admit that was me. But that's not me anymore. I have a new identity. And so what Paul says is just as the people of Israel were now identified with Moses' leadership through the picture of baptism, God's people is now identified with the Lordship of Christ through his spiritual baptism. And we know this from the new covenant that what happens is he removes the heart of stone. This is what happens, okay? We know this from Ezekiel 36. That before Christ, we have a heart of stone that is unfeeling, undesiring. I don't care about the things of God. I don't want to follow the things of God. I don't want to obey the things of God. The things of God don't excite my heart. 
I don't want to be with the people of God. That's what the heart of stone is. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, he takes out that heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh and he puts his spirit in us. Such that you know you have a new Lord now. Right? You know when you sin and that guilt comes on and you know you have to get right with God. You have to ask for forgiveness and you have to ask for forgiveness from those you've sinned against and you have to get right and you know he will cover you. Because why? You've been identified with him. Outwardly, this, we, we even know this. This is why we're having a baptism. We, don't, we try by God's grace to only baptize those folks who profess to have come to know him in truth. Who have professed to be identified with Christ in truth. And that's why in Matthew 28 when we say we are therefore to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is this person publicly owns Christ. Publicly identifies with his lordship. Is telling the church and the world. He is my lord. He has changed me. And so what the baptism does is you're saying what happened inside I am expressing to you on the outside. Because if I get baptized without the change that has happened on the inside I'm just getting wet. You understand that? But if it's true I want you to know I'm no longer mine. Thirdly, there is the ongoing sustenance. This is wonderful. I love this. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. There was a a legend in Hebrew um, tradition that said that there was a rock that followed them that gave them water. Paul says that there was a sustaining power and that himself, it was Christ. Jesus says that he gives us in the New Testament this ongoing sustenance. He says, truly, truly, I say, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He, verse 56 of John chapter 6, he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me. I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he shall also live because of me. This is the bread which came down of heaven as the fathers ate. Fathers, the is fathers of Israel as the fathers ate. He who eats this bread shall live forever. John 4, 13 says this. Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. He's talking about normal water, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, what is occurring here, brothers and sisters, is that Christ promises That no matter what you are going through, 
no matter what difficulty, no matter what temptation. He will give you the sustaining power and grace you need, mediated by the Holy Spirit himself. Just as Israel was sustained by the spiritual food or the spiritual drink, they were drinking from the spiritual rock. Just as Israel was sustained, the Bible says, so too you are sustained by Jesus' grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you're not, what's wonderful is you're not called to live this holy life in your own resources. You don't have enough. You don't have the power. You don't have the heart. Stop being overconfident in yourself. You can't do this. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not only you can't save yourself, you can't live the Christian life without his sustenance. Have you been taught that over and over again? I'm taught that over and over and over. No, Angelo, you can't do this without me. No, Angelo, you can't do this without abiding in me. No, you can't properly discipline your kids. You can't properly love your wife. Wives, you can't properly love your husband or give grace to your kids. You can't properly understand and live under an unruly employer. You can't properly love others as God would have you unless the love of Christ is flowing in you. You need to be filled first before you could be a source of refreshment to others. He says... Celebrate how wonderful liberty is in Christ. Remember your awesome deliverance. Remember your new identification. Remember your ongoing sustenance. Celebrate how wonderful liberty is in Christ. Meditate on it. Think deeply on it. Frequently of its truths. Let Christ dominate your thinking. Do whatever it takes so that you would be dwelling on what Christ has done and who you are in Christ and experiencing his power. Brothers and sisters, don't live any other way. You're selling your birthright. You're releasing joy. You're not receiving it. You're not walking in joy. You're living the substitute of this world. There is nothing like walking in Jesus. Secondly, anticipate. Anticipate how easily liberty can become sin. Verses 5 to 10. Anticipate. It is the mark of an immature Christian who says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it in my own power. And the mature Christians in the church sit back and just watch. Because we know how ornery we can be. And we know that all of us have the remnants of sin. And so, as a wise Christian... Growing in Christ, you need to anticipate this. Anticipate your weakness. The Bible says for us to not be unaware of the the devil, the plans of the devil. Anticipate it. 
He says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. We recall from the Old Testament that only Joshua and Caleb saw the promised land from the older generation. It says here that they were laid low, that the term there means that their, their corpses were laid across the wilderness in dishonor. And even though they were delivered, listen to this fact, okay? This, even though the Israelites were delivered, even though they were identified with Moses, even though they were sustained by God, their pride and their self-centeredness caused them to be overconfident and they suffered the consequences of their sin. Here it is. He says in verse 6, Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. We've said this in the beginning of the sermon, but it goes without saying that the text in the Old Testament is for us. Watch yourself. It's to point out our own fallenness to think we got this. We don't got this. Christ got this, right? Notice he says, idolatry. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now we look at that text and we think, what is so bad with eating and drinking and playing? Huh? What is so bad with that? Well, we know this was in reference to Exodus 32. Look at Exodus 32. Keep your hand here and go to Exodus 32. We recall what happened was Moses went up the hill, up Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 32, in verse, as Moses, uh, verse three, sec two. Aaron was the one who said to, for them to tear off their gold rings and the ears of their, off the ears of their wives, their sons. And they all tore it off. And verse 4, he committed an abominable sin, he said. He took this from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made it into a molten calf. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They committed idolatry. And all of them were together. And Aaron said, yeah, let's do this. He fell under peer pressure, probably leading to peer pressure. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be the feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. There's that reference to 1 Corinthians 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. And then he says here, Moses, Moses comes down. And so we see here, they commit, he commits this in, incredible sin. 
The God who just rescued him. Imagine this. This is what happens to us too. Sometimes you may experience even God's goodness. You will remember what he has done for you. He may even have acted in your life and interceded in your life. And you know it was the hand of God. And you turn around and sin. How many times have we heard a great sermon on a Sunday, so encouraged, and then Monday, we, don't, we live like the devil. We say something that we shouldn't have said. We've thought something we shouldn't have thought. We've done something we shouldn't have done. That's how quickly we can if we are not careful. He says here, The people sat down to eat and to drink and to rose and rose up to play. Now, this word for play was also used in Genesis 26, verse 8. And it came about when he had been there that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. So that word caressing is the same word for play. And the reason why the Bible says play, the Bible is purposely ambiguous when it comes to sexual immorality. Okay? It will use words like that because it wants you to know what's going on, but it doesn't want you to think graphically in that way. And so what was happening is, in their drinking and in their eating, in their stupor, they had a sexual immorality as part of their worship. And the results in Exodus 32 later on is that 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now we look at this and we go, whoa, Angelo, that's kind of heavy. You could go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's kind of heavy. That's not me, but brothers and sisters, how easily we set up idols for ourselves. The idols of Sexual immorality, idols of drunkenness, the idols of uh, pharmacia, which is illicit drugs, the idols of uh, wanting to please man, the idols of uh, wanting to be escaped from all discomfort. Idols don't have to be figurines. There could be hobbies or sports or relationships. And what happens is here's what the overconfident person does. Remember, this is the whole theme of overconfidence. The overconfident person says, you know, it's okay if I choose this hobby over Christ. What you don't realize, brothers and sisters, is when you make that little compromise, that tiny compromise, what starts to occur is that hobby just came a little higher than Christ. And the idol that has now taken the place of where Christ should be is now that hobby. And then slowly you make another decision. That hobby becomes a little bit higher. And then a little bit higher. And a little bit higher. And pretty soon the guy or the girl says, no, it's not going to control me. You're consumed. Think of. Or it's okay if I start having coffee with this unbelieving gal or this unbelieving guy 
That's that's okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be affected. I could control it. I, I I could control my emotions. I'm good. And suddenly this guy or this girl who finally starts giving you attention. I'm not getting attention anywhere else. They finally start giving you attention. Wow, this guy really cares for me. This girl really cares for me. And slowly those compromises start to occur. Slowly more and more and more and more. And now this guy is higher than Christ. And you don't know how you got there. And all of your emotions are tied with this guy or this girl. And I say this to our young folks. Because that's exactly how it happens. Where Christ is no longer your first love. You've jettisoned him. Or maybe you start to forsake fellowship. I want to do this activity or that activity. And slowly that activity starts to get higher and higher and higher and higher. And it slowly leads to idolatry. Brothers and sisters, none of us are immune to the idols of our heart. Secondly, sexual immorality. He says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Of course, he's talking about the idolatry in verse 7 of playing But also in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, the people began to play, again, he uses that term, to play the harlot, to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, rampant sexual immorality, just like our culture right now. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down with their gods. And then Numbers 25, 9 says, and those who died by the plague were in the 24,000. See, this is, this is what happens. You know, I, I'm okay. I'm not going to get swept up if I just look at this image. That's okay. I got it. I got this. I'm not going to get sucked in. I got it. It's okay if I date this girl or this guy. As, you know what? As long as I'm not physical, I'm okay. Right? I'm going to go as far as I can to the line. By the way, brothers and sisters, that is the most immature thing you could do. The most mature thing is to stay away as far to the edge of the cliff as possible. Why do you want to get close? That's an immature person. Well, you know, and we hear it a lot of times in youth group, and I, I, I don't bash them. Especially in youth group, because a lot, a lot of times in youth group or in youth camps, sometimes I'm asked to do a Q&A for relationships, right? When I do a Q&A for relationships, a lot of times the question is the same. The question is, <laughs> okay, how far physically can I get with my girlfriend until it's sin? Before it's sin? How far can I possibly get? And I already asked the question. The, that's the wrong question. The question should be, how do you want to please Christ? How can I love Christ with my purity? See, it's already the wrong question. Or how about this? You know, it's okay if I start intimate communication with someone who's not my wife or my husband. That's, that's, that's okay. Brothers and sisters, that's how it starts. 
Let's just be real. I mean, I was just looking at an article. This, this reminded me of an article of one, of one of my good, good friends and professors who was well-known. Slowly, slowly started to have relationship with this other woman and fell in a dramatic way. Because why? He was overconfident. Thought he could handle it. Testing God. Testing God is another way. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one one day. That's, that's, when we say testing God, this is what happened in Numbers 21 verse 5. If you recall, they're starting to starve and they needed water and they were hungry. And what happened is the people in its audacity took God to trial and it uses legal terms and the people spoke against God and Moses and here is what they said Do you guys remember numbers 21 verse 5 you could write that down I'll just read it for you why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. In other words, what the people have done is they say, God, we charge you with murder because you have brought us here, and it wasn't like we thought it would be, and it's hard we thought it would be, and it's not supposed to be this way. God, you did this. And instead of dwelling on the goodness and the righteousness and the love and the kindness of God, now you're testing God, you're trying God, you put him on trial and you judge him. You know what heart that is? It's the kind of guy who says, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in him. If he was, if there's a real God, then why did he do this to me? Why did he allow this? And why did he allow that? Oh, friend. Oh, friend, can you not see that the difficulties in life lead us to him? It's supposed to show us that this world is not all there is. That this world is broken. That people are filled with sin. That there is death in this world because of it. And we need a savior. We doubt the goodness of God. Grumbling is another one. Grumbling, he says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. We remember in Numbers 16.32. Grumbling is, is, is counterpart with testing God. It, it, it's related to it. In Numbers 16.32 we recall, they, now after God had provided, they go, man, I'm sick of this quail and water and bread. I'm sick of it. And now God has given them blessings and now they're complaining. First they were hungry and then they said, you're going to kill us. And now God has given them all blessings, brothers and sisters, all blessings, all sufficiencies. He's given it to you all and it's not good enough for you. Because you sit there and you judge God. Who are you, old man? 
to sit there and judge God. We remember what God did. He sent the, bro- uh, the bronze serpent and if they would just look, they would live. But what grumbling really shows in your heart, brothers and sisters, is you're dissatisfied with God's sovereign will for you. I don't like how you're running things. I don't agree with you. You don't know what you're doing. Or you doubt his goodness. You're good to everyone else but not me, God. Why am I going through this? You're good to everyone else. Oh yeah, we can slip that way, can't we? But let me tell you, there's a Christ for you, Christian. He tells us to celebrate how wonderful our liberty in Christ is. Second, to anticipate how easily liberty can become sin. You have to know this about yourself. Rather than seeing how far you can go before sinning, stay away. I know the things I need to stay away from. You should know the things you need to stay away from. And never say, I would never do that. That's what David said. And he fell, committed adultery, and had the, had the woman he committed adultery, had her husband, one of his good friends, killed. Put him in the front line of the battle. I would never do that is the sound of Peter when he said, Lord, though all leave you, I will never deny you. Oh, sure. Sure, Peter, we know the story. You did. We're weak. We're weak. Face it, brothers and sisters. Just face it and embrace it. And, it. and face and hug and embrace and yearn for the strength that is in Christ. That's the only way you'll make it. Lastly, realize how much liberty requires the power of God. To live, truly live freely, you need the power of God. You need his power. Verse 11 says, Now these things happen to them as an example. We saw it. They were written for our instruction. The word there for instruction is not didasco. You know, didascalia, we would say that's the teaching. No, this one for instruction is for our admonition. We can get like this if we're overconfident. He says, Upon... Whom the ends of the ages have come. That means till the Messiah comes. And then he says, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Please, please listen. None of you are immune to sin and gross sin. To say I would never do that is one of the most prideful things you could say. You've not really understood the depravity of man. You've not really understood your own sinfulness and you're prone to wander. Even Proverbs 16 says, what, 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And then here's power. Well, if, 
If we are weak, where's the power? Amen, right? We got power here. Amen? Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. Notice what Paul does not say. Just try harder. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, come on, you can take it. You got this. He doesn't say that at all. He's faced with his own sinful humanity and he tells you, no, first, remember this. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common in man. You need to know this. Why? Because you rationalize in your mind why it's okay for you to not trust God, to not obey God, and to sin. You say, my case is different. You don't understand what I'm going through. The reason why I have to sin, the reason why I don't need to trust in God, the reason why I don't need to change is because of my background, is because of what I've been through. You don't understand the underlying circumstances of what I'm going through. And God says, you're wrong. Everything that you go through, it's common to man. Now you would think, oh, how is that encouraging? I was with Barbie and Jason. They went to their first conference. It was wonderful. Barbie goes, I want to go to everyone. This is so encouraging. But as she, as she went, there, um, one of the most encouraging things is, it's, it is the sermons, it is the fellowship, it's, but it's that other folks are going through the same thing you're going through. Now, if we, have, if we were to ask our, our marine buddies here, man, we've, we've got this, you guys got this camaraderie. We went through boot camp together. Oh, we went through boot camp. Oh, we were, we were in this place together. We were in this place together. We're on this ship together. There is this camaraderie, right? And it's, it kind of encourages you. Why? Because we're together in this. If I were to use World War II language, we were in the foxhole together. We were in the heat together. We were in the field together. We were together. It's okay. You know, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there is no temptation that no one has ever been through that, that is so unique to you that no one has not walked through it in the power of Christ. You hear that? You can go through it. You don't have to sin. So that's Paul's encouragement. You're not alone. And so when we were at that conference, we had pastors who were all hurting. There was everybody's church, something bad happened. And I told Barbie, it's normal. We are at war for the souls of men. This is normal. You're not unique. So watch yourself when you say, in my case, you don't understand. My case, listen, you have the power of Christ. Now he says, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you or seized you, which is common to man, and God is faithful. 
brothers and sisters, if God is faithful to receive the sacrifice of Christ for your sins, God is faithful to take you through whatever you go through. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave you in the wilderness by yourself. Do you understand that? Why? Because it's inherent in his character. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to forget you. I'm not. I promised you because of the blood of Christ. He will be with you. Notice he says here, in the temptation. You can't ever say, brothers and sisters, the temptation was too big. (laughs) Did you know that? Oh, the temptation was way too big. Oh no, God gives us power. He says that you may be able to endure it. Christ grants this as the perfect son who is not, notice, he himself was not overconfident in his humanity, but rather he trusted in the power of the spirit. You know, a lot of times when we think about it, we pray this way. We say, God, take it out. Take this trial out. I don't want to deal with it. The Christian way is through it. You understand? Not away, not going around, through it. Do you understand? God's trying to teach you his sufficiency. He's trying to teach you his goodness. He's got to teach you, you can endure by the power of Christ. Notice, he told Paul this, 2 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, he says, because of the surpassing greatness, verse 7, of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Why is this in my life? Sometimes he gives it so you would be humble. So you would finally trust in him and rely on his power and not on your own to think you could live this Christian life. And he says, there are given me a thorn in the flesh. I believe, I don't think it was a physical ailment. I believe it was actually a person in the church because I think it's in the context of another teacher. To keep me from exalting myself concerning that I might implore the Lord. He asked God, take it away three times. Take it away. Take it away. And Paul said, then Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Amen. You have this ability, brothers and sisters, to rely and rest in the strength of God. To not be overconfident in your own power. That is the surest way to slip. But to be absolutely confident in the power that's in Christ. If you don't know him, would you come to him? So that you could rest in his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Please guide and direct us. Lord, help us not to rely on self. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Help us to be humble. In Jesus' name, amen.